0: So, regardless, uh, during quarantine, I was sitting in my, a little room, a little bit prison-like, and just wondered, why now? Like, why did I get COVID now? Um, I kind of thought it was over and gone. Maybe you feel that as well, um, but why now? And, and probably among other things, there are two reasons I want to talk about in my reflecting on that event uh, and then trying to receive the text myself as I've prepared to preach it. Uh, there are a couple things you should know. First, I have a really severe fear of needles. Uh, yeah, I've passed out multiple times while receiving shots. I've thrown up at least once and i honestly, I can hardly talk or think about getting an IV without feeling nauseous. And ironically, I married a nurse. She comes home and, Nick, I did an IV today. It was great. Yay. I'm so proud. I'm so proud. Anyway, so I didn't get the COVID vaccine more because of fear than anything else. And where there is a fear of things in the world, there is a lack of faith in God. And that is wrong. Jesus said, don't be anxious about tomorrow. And when we have fear or anxiety, we shouldn't tolerate it. It's got to go. And by allowing me to get sick when he did, I just felt one consequence of what um, fear and faithlessness can lead to, right? And in this case, it was separation. I wanted to be with you guys, and I couldn't be, uh, And there is a loss when we're separated from the church body. It's good to be here. I'm convinced of that. So that's one thing you should know. And a second I find directly related to the sermon text today, directly. Uh, So I I have rarely been sick throughout most of my life, which is nice. Uh, But in the past four weeks or so, I've been sick twice. Uh, And that's just hard when I'm trying to be around you, get to know you. Uh, I've really loved my job with all that I get to do, but it's been sort of shut down twice now. And what do I think of that? Well, I believe this is a way God is helping me not to put any confidence in my own strength or in my ability, but to put that in Christ. And honestly, it was just kind of frustrating (laughs) Maybe you know the feeling, but my takeaway uh, is that God is good, he is gracious in his timing always, and he loves us enough not to leave us where we're at in fear or self-confidence. So today, we're going to follow up there by exploring where our confidence is and where it should be, where our confidence or hope or comfort should be. So, with me, go ahead, turn to Philippians 3. This is where it gets good. I'm going to read the first 11 verses in a moment. Uh, Again, Philippians 3, 1 is where we're going to start. Let me add, hey, if you don't have a Bible, we want to get you one. I don't know if we say that often enough, but we believe kingdoms fall, mountains move, but God's word won't. Okay? It doesn't fade away or become irrelevant. It's true, and it speaks to us today. So if you don't have a Bible, come find me at the end of the service, and we'll get you a book, okay? But for now, uh, let's read Philippians 3, starting at the beginning. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for... and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I ask that you would soften our hearts. Let your word cut through uh, darkness, through chains, through bone and marrow. Let it cut through our hearts and please convict us of sin. Please convince us of grace. Lord, let me not speak with words of wisdom, but with the power of the Spirit. Please put your word in us. Let us know you. Jesus, you are the word of life. Please help us to know you and to to love you. We ask that in all this you would stir our hearts towards you to praise your name. Uh, So please help us now, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, let's uh, let's work our way through the text. We're going to Make some observations. So, starting from the top in verse 1, look at the page, not at me, and see that command. It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. This word for rejoicing comes up nine times in the four chapters of Philippians. So, take a hint on the purpose of the letter, right? Paul is writing so that our love and our delight and our happiness is in Jesus, our Lord. He says then, continuing on, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. So the the biting irony of this situation is that the apostle, remember, he's in prison with dire circumstances, says, "Eh, it's no trouble for me, but look out for the dogs, for the evildoers, for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul might be executed... but the danger he chooses to warn the Philippians about is the threat of the Judaizers. So, who are they? He calls them false teachers, uh, the dogs. And that's kind of like a insult, a sassy insult, but it's, it's not. It's very pointed, it's very intentional. Jews would label people who didn't follow a kosher diet dogs because it was an insult, and they ate indiscriminately like dogs do, They thought that people like Paul and Epaphroditus, who we read about a couple weeks ago, were evildoers because they spread a message of salvation that was works-free. They didn't have to keep doing the law of Moses. They didn't have to stick with the tradition-heavy Jewish law. And the Judaizers said that people needed to be physically circumcised to be saved. So we're getting a picture of the opponents here. The Judaizers ultimately want to mark their faith in Jesus by what they do and what they don't do. And Paul says, no, don't do that. The dogs are actually those who look clean on the outside but are filled with unbelief and hard hearts on the inside. The evildoers are those who are preaching Jesus plus work and those who are advocating for circumcision which is paratome are actually mutilators which is katatome uh, it's a pun in greek and i'm not going to explain it past that verse 3 we are the circumcision we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of god glory in christ jesus and put no confidence in the flesh in the covenant that god made with abraham circumcision was the outward sign of inward faith Right? So the people of God aren't marked by what they do and what they don't do. They're marked by faith. That's always been the case. Both Testaments. And here Paul is emphasizing that the people of God worship by the Spirit of God loving and praising Jesus with zero confidence in the flesh. And nevertheless Paul goes on in verse 4. Read this with me saying, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. In fact, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he's building a resume, This is his testimony. Whatever anyone else has done to be made right and good before God, Paul did more, and Paul did better. He was an ethnic Israelite, raised according to the law. He was part of the strictest Jewish sect, the Pharisees. And these people, the Pharisees, probably know their name. They were renowned for extreme and for super intense obedience to parts of the law. And we read that earlier in the Bible. Jesus talks a lot about that. Paul was a Pharisee. But even more than that, he persecuted the church. He persecuted Jesus in order to keep his religion pure. So under the provision of the law, Paul was blameless. And the law makes good provision in in a sense. Right? The purpose of the law, those 613 commandments... It's a lot, found, found in the first few books of the Bible. The purpose of that is good. It, it was designed, the rules were designed to help people love God and love other people. Okay, so the law isn't necessarily bad, but the story shows that Israel failed to do that. Failed to love God and love people. They failed. The Jews tried to become righteous by obeying the law but they failed because they lived as if it were based on their work. Paul was no exception. If anyone could be good by what they had done, it'd be him. His heritage and his actions were exceptional. So the first point we're going to kind of digest today is this. Don't pursue righteousness apart from Jesus. Right? The people of God put no confidence in themselves. We read this in verse 3. Again, the circumcision, so those who are saved by Jesus, worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. To say it another way, the people of God don't make themselves righteous. You can't wiggle your way into right standing before God. So don't pursue righteousness on your own. It's not even worth trying. But, but, put faith in Christ. Let's, let's apply this to our hearts and, and look inside for a second. What are some good things, some good things we can do and then boast in? Could we put confidence in the flesh? Because I think I can. I think I have. And we read that that's fatal to faith, right? Here are some of my answers to that question. Uh, so Nick could boast in reading his Bible in going to church in praying, knowing something on occasion, giving and not sinning at times. And what about you? We don't exactly have Judaizers in Iowa Falls that I know of, but my wager is that you, like me, are quick to resist the idea of grace and believe that we can just kind of muscle our way to heaven by trying hard enough, right? Like, if we believe that God is more pleased with us when we do certain things than others, we will become the Judaizers. And let me clarify that. We're quick to put our confidence in ourselves instead of having faith in Jesus. And we have to be careful here because let's be honest, real good can come and should come from reading the Bible every day, from going to church every Sunday, from praying a lot. And we, we can go on. But our doing, our achieving, and our serving, our working, count for nothing next to one thing. What is that one thing? Let's read on. Don't take it from me. Hear it from Paul. It says, but whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Okay, pause right there. You catch it? Paul says, this is of surpassing worth, knowing Jesus. And that's the second point for us, okay? Pursue Jesus, because he is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. And, and knowing him is worth... Everything. That's a truth we confess a lot, uh, but uh, I want to just recognize for a moment that I can't convince you of this. Not not in your heart. God is the one who does that, and pray He does. But but here's the a principle we operate on. So here at Iowa Falls, Ephraim, we're all about God because we believe that only Jesus, just Jesus, is all we need for all we face. So only Jesus is sufficient. And only Jesus satisfies. When we preach, when we sing, when we pray, it's all about God's glory. Because that's where our joy is, right? We're most satisfied when God is most glorified. And take a look around you. People who get that, people who get this, are probably, I think, should be the happiest people on the planet. Right? People who are convinced that Jesus is worth everything are the happiest people on the planet, but but not blindly so. Like, we don't ignore evil and brokenness. We just look at Jesus, and then we live. These are the people who have struggled and who still struggle and who suffer what Paul says is the loss of all things, but are still happy because Jesus is worth everything. Hear it again. Hear it again in the text. Verses 8 and 9. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Amen. Right? Gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Okay. Well, let's apply the word and pursue Jesus like Paul did. So, how do we do that? He already said that he puts no confidence in the flesh and in his ability to be righteous. And now, instead, he glories in Christ Jesus. Right? So, remember, the call of the word of God is always to worship God. That's what we're made for. And church... The application here is really simple. It's just do what causes you to love Jesus more. Let's explore that. Do whatever your affections will be drawn towards him. So if if waking up before the rest of the world, brewing your coffee and breaking open your Bible gives you joy, do that. But if you feel more dead than alive before 6 a.m., don't do that, right? If there's a person who you can talk to, and who you'll walk away from that conversation just praising Jesus, being in awe of who he is, of what he's done, then put a time on the calendar and do that. If listening to music, going to work, taking a walk, watching a movie, sharing a meal, going on a run, not going on a run, or anything else will put you in a place of worship from tasting and from seeing the grandeur of God then do that. Okay? We, we just need, we need to open our eyes, we need a big view of worship that spreads throughout every part of life, everything we do. We can't just put it in a box on Sundays, right? So, it's one half. The, the other part of setting our affections on Jesus means leaving behind whatever steals our appetite. Right. If anything weighs us down, we set it aside because we want to run faster. We want to get closer to Jesus. So we need to ask ourselves what stirs our affections towards Jesus and then what robs our affections from Jesus. Because if we believe he is supremely valuable, then pursuing him is our highest priority. I like what Matt Chandler wrote some years back. I found this really helpful. I want to share it with you guys. He says throw it up on the screen. He says if we're living life in a pursuit of Jesus Christ as opposed to a gospel denying pursuit of self-improvement we will answer those questions in ways that push us further into the gospel, not further into legalism. Because the worst thing we can do in figuring out what stirs us and what quenches us is to determine for others what they shouldn't watch on TV, or that they must get up early in the morning in order to be godly people. If we do that, we're not glorying in Christ, but in our behaviors. Right? We're suddenly turned pursuit of Christ into the same badges of honor Paul says we should throw away and count as rubbish. So, Ultimately, we pursue Jesus not not to be good, but because he is good. And that's why we can pursue him when we're hurting uh, and even, like, right when we sin and do wrong. We turn to Jesus. We pursue Jesus not to be good, but because he is good. That's why we want to be found in him. Uh, The text says Paul wanted to be found in Christ. And it, it, it conveys the language of trusting and taking refuge and being hidden in Christ. In something to save. Now, let's read verse 10. Okay. He wants to be found in Christ that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That sounds so backwards. <laughs> Uh, We we see that apparently there's a connection between knowing Jesus, experiencing his power, suffering with him, dying with him, and living with him. And what do we make of that? Um, I I found it puzzling, but one book was super helpful, and I want to share what it read as well. This book says, some people treat Jesus like a ticket to heaven. However, you throw away a ticket once you get to where you're going. You want an entrance to the place, not the piece of paper, and everyone wants to go to heaven, but not for the same reasons. There will be splendors and wonders of the new heavens and the new earth for our resurrection bodies, but we will enjoy them as part of the overflow of enjoying Christ. Okay, get that last part. We enjoy the good gifts of the world as a result of enjoying Christ. And that'll be the same with heaven, right? Eternal life is in knowing him. So we see that self-righteousness is fatal to face. And instead we're called to rejoice in and enjoy Jesus. He is our righteousness. We can pursue sin. We can pursue Uh, being good on our own, or we can pursue Jesus. And I, I think there's a way we can look at this with three parts. If we pursue sin, we will lose. If we pursue righteousness apart from Christ, we will lose. If we pursue Jesus, we win because he is our reward. Pray with me. Father God, we ask that you would let us this morning taste and see the goodness that is found in knowing you. Lord, don't let us settle for the fast food that the, the, the world offers, that, that sin offers, that pursuing righteousness on our own offers, but please help us to pursue holiness in Christ, to feast on your grace, Lord, there isn't another that can compare with you. Lord, please help us worship in all of life, not just now, but tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and and, and on and on until you return and come back and we are united with you forever. Lord, please help us enjoy you. Jesus, Warm our hearts, stir our affections that we may know you and pursue you and live for you, Lord Jesus.